Hello and welcome to number three of the podcast. We This is a late session we're doing, so we're very, very tired. I think we started off talking about uh, tiny autistic kittens. Uh, was that the part of the conversation? Geriatric lambs. And geriatric lambs. Um, I'm, I'm fucking done, mate. To be, yeah. f- to be fucking honest with you, son, I'm fucking done, mate. You look horrible. I know. You said I, I took uh, promotional photographs earlier on, and Danny <laughs> said how like wonderful and sparkly my eyes are, and he said oh, that's really weird because I thought you had like tiny little pig eyes in the. Uh, in real life, which I have, but um, and he said I had a Roman f- face, dead Roman, dead Roman face. face. This ain't going nowhere. <laughs> this this I'll, this, I'll, ba- this banter's a non-starter. I'm going home. All right, but no, this is a wonderful episode. Uh, Helen is, I'm glad to say, is a, a good friend. After we started. The sexiest voice. Uh, Danny thinks she's got a, a very attractive voice, very mellifluous voice. Um, you could, yeah, yeah. You could listen. Warming to the ears. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's, uh, it's very easy to listen to to Helen uh, because a she's a wonderful person, very candid, very articulate, and uh, yeah, she's got a great set of pipes. Quite a juxtaposition. Yeah, to, uh... you said that Danny said about the sound waves or whatever they're called when you're doing the recording. <laughs> he said the, the disparity between sound like something, between Helen's little like pipsqueak sound waves and then my big like like my voice. Your horn. I've got the vocal. Literally just clipped. I've got the vocal equivalent of you know like dog chub, like this is like cutting up dog chub. My voice is like dog chub. And her voice is like gossamer or something, but uh, episode three, episode three coming at you. Help! 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 I'm sitting in the British Library of Helen Duff. If you're taking something and nobody else knows you're taking it and can't even tell you're taking it, what is it you're afraid of happening if you're not on it? Do you see what I mean? When yeah, you say yeah, like, yeah, like I can't function. So what's like the core? Because I get what you're... I'm just trying to establish what you mean by that because I am. I think I have a version of that. I had a version of that yeah, because for myself. Okay, okay, so... We're comparing notes on each other's addictions. Um, for me, it was... Uh, just this like unwavering kind of like restlessness, um, anxiety. I had a terrible anxiety, uh, social, you know, awkwardness, self-esteem issues. Right. And when I took the when I took the drug or the drink, whatever, it suppressed that. Yeah. And, and I could function. I could integrate. I was. Um, I felt more chatty. I thought I was more interesting uh, yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. So yeah. So was that the same? So kind did of it thing? slightly shut off? It's hard, isn't it? So when you ask questions, you kind of end up just because you can't not like engendering them with your own experience. Yeah. So like when I say, like when I want to ask about social anxiety, does that manifest itself as being like a voice in your head that's like, 
you're a piece of shit, you've got nothing to say for yourself. It's, it's not even, for me, it's like the, the, the kind of self-hatred thing that a lot of people go back to. I yeah. never had that. I, yeah. was, I never had a self-hatred. I just, uh, I, I recently wrote an article for this magazine called Dog about, I used to have terrible uh, acne. Oh yeah, I saw the illustrations Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked, I really want to read it. It oh, looked, yeah. at the same time, so gross but also beautiful yeah yeah yeah. I really like that mix I mean I talk about in the article about there's this Joycean thing like James Joyce always talked about like ennobling the body's lower strata so it's talking about like shitting acne that's all part of our experience and he kind of wanted to elevate that and say that's as you know that can be not even necessarily beautiful but yeah yeah it's kind of beautiful poetic as well there is and, like a you know, thrill that comes with gross out stuff isn't yeah there? yeah yeah definitely yeah and I'm, that's yeah. a big thing for me and I sort of put that in my comedy I kind of I just want to divulge everything like even yes. the, the terrible parts of myself you know it's a testament to Helen's inquisitive nature that very quickly she starts interviewing me yeah and then I guess you have to watch that a bit I'm in terms of comedy or storytelling I'm at a stage I'm a bit like, I think I've used up most of my, like, experiences. Most of my stuff that was not ever allowed to be spoken about, I've spoken about. Yeah, yeah. You know, all the, like, skeletons. And so now I feel a bit, um, I'm interested to speak to you about how uh, recovery can become a kind of addiction in itself. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Because, like, once you've... I think it's quite relevant for comedy, especially at this moment, and the way in which people are using life experiences as material and are being rewarded for that, like big shows that really lift the lid on something dark and difficult and vulnerable. They call them like the dead dad shows. Well, I know there's a... Yeah, that, but like there's a lot of other versions of that. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, definitely. Toured and toured and toured, and that people have been financially really rewarded for. Yeah. That are quite um, with like Richard Gadd, yeah, since like you know the horrendous thing, sure, really. exactly. And other ones, I think there's a cost to um, that, yeah, in the performance that isn't really explored in the show often, yeah. and a kind of hunger from audiences to see that sort of like exposure, that like opening of wounds, yeah, yeah, but not really wanting to acknowledge like the reality of what that's like to perform. This is a kind of creative masochism or creative bloodletting or maybe the need to divulge is pure ego, forcing your shadow self outwards and rubbing people's faces in it. I once did a gig where I told the audience I'm forging intimacy. Forcing intimacy, an audience member shouted back. And um, I guess when I say like becoming addicted to your own recovery, it's that you replace... I guess I should start a bit earlier on. Like for me, there's a real fear of what I used to talk about as being, and still do really, like the void. Like you're feeling like a kind of empty in between oh, yeah, space yeah, yeah. that you're, that just doesn't. It's not even necessarily ever go, painful, is it? It's, no. it's like a, it's kind of like a nothingness. It's like, it's that, nothingness. like that Samuel Beckett, like, it's the, like, like a the boredom. It's like the averageness yeah, of yeah, life, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. And you can trace it back to stuff that happens in your childhood or like traumatic experiences once you've dealt with all of that once you've exercised all of that you're still left with like life is still not electric all the time and so often because in recovery you do all that hard work of like exploring what the roots of it was what triggered stuff 
and so you face all of that and you kind of come to terms with it but you're still left with that sense of like that kind of in-between space that you were trying to fill in the first place and so then you fill that with like how well you've recovered and you kind of and that becomes your thing that Especially in this world, you end up that becomes your like new. That's your thing, new. That's your new. Uh, but you're like thing to revitalize yourself. Exactly, I, I, it becomes I, your story, and then you're yeah. stuck in that story instead of being like, I'm stuck in the like, oh, I'm an addict, or oh, I've got a disorder, or I've got something I'm hiding. Yeah. Your story now becomes like. My story is that I talk about my shit all the time, yes, and I trade yeah, yeah. on it, and everyone knows me for it. And then you're like, I don't really want to talk about it anymore, but maybe I have to because that's the thing that I'm kind of living off. I think it's really dangerous to get into that I, I, I spiral. Agree. Being addicted to conversations about addiction, I have that. I believe it perpetuates an egoistic self-absorption, a solipsism. So the traits that aided your addiction are also encoded in its remedy in recovery they say share share yourself share a piece of yourself it's all about the self i mean like for me the 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 kind of full disclosure part of myself preceded the the drug use but now looking back it probably (laughs) you know but now looking back it was probably all interlinked somehow like i had the addictive tendency even if it wasn't drugs it was you know I, I said when I was younger, like this is just an example, I got into Friends when I was like nine, the programme Friends, and I had a book that was like the cut, like it, it had every bit of information about Friends. It yes. had like the name of the caretaker in the building they live in. Mr. Trigger. The colour of Monica's skirting board. Brown. The skirting boards are brown. That sounds like a really... Is the word vociferous? No, vociferous. Vociferous, like voracious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, appetite for information. Yeah, yeah. And that is like totally healthy, actually. Um, well, you think it's healthy? Yes, do I do because I think I've been doing loads of reading about the way in which appetites get um, co-opted by different kinds of systems to make money so for example with food and appetite for food which operates very similarly i would say to like appetite for information appetite for sex appetite for love appetite for friendship all like interaction i've never seen the overlap between eating disorders and addictive behaviors until i went to rehab while we were queuing for our medication dressed in ratty dressing gowns and batman long johns I chat to teenagers with eating disorders and tweaky, ready-to-burst psychotics, and we would horse-trade details about our pathologies. One guy held his boss hostage. Earlier in the day, he was sharing golf tips. Um, yeah, appetite for food gets co-opted by food industries in order, and subverted. So, like, um, come on, you're back there laughing. I can't sell you something that is that you have ownership of already, yeah. but you've already owned it, yeah. you've got it. So what I have to do is I have to convince you that you don't own it, that it's not yours, it's something you should be afraid of or you need to be in control of, or you need to... Um, well, that's like with the, like the AA like, ethos, they say, be wary uh, hand of. yourself over. Well, no, yeah, this is the thing, so, like, so the food industry to go in like, your appetite is something for like, let's say, dye industries. Your appetite yeah. is, uh, you need to keep that under control. You need to 
be afraid of your own capacity to binge or to um, uh, like do yourself harm with your insatiable need for food, etc. So at that point, then I'm like, okay, yeah, God, yeah, you're right. I am a danger to myself. Please help me. And then like, so have this, do this. So it's about taking away from you something you already own, making it feel alien or dangerous, and then selling it back to you as being like, well, we can help. We've got the answers. And I think similarly that happens with alcohol and cigarettes. And so you, yeah. People are looking for answers, people are looking for support systems, and they appear in these kind of big industries that are like, we've got you, we've got the answers. Yes, I, I, I agree, so I think that people do, you kind of, uh, like just, I, can, I can't talk about the eating side of it, but uh, going back to my experience with drugs and alcohol, is you replace the meetings and the NA program, you get addicted to it. You basically right. replace that, so that replaces the drugs. Yes. And though I ha- I've been a bit resistant with that, in that I don't want my life to be completely devoted to this program. I, I will use it, I'll go to meetings, I find them helpful yeah. to talk, like someone like my auntie, who's an alcoholic, her whole life, like she becomes quite tyrannical with it. She'll be like, no, you, 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 you're not going to meetings today. You're not doing it properly. This is how you do it. Like, the, the, and that's what it becomes her lifeblood. And, so and and in a way, I kind of, I don't think she. It's it's working as a distraction to stop her from drinking, but it's kind of masquerading, saying, oh, she's not quite getting so to the root of why is she drunk in the first place and that's what Tony was saying that he 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 isn't he's keeping off of the alcohol and the drugs but he's not getting to the root of what you know why why is he medicating and why is he feeling the need to do that and I wonder whether that's because you can grip onto recovery really tight like you can use the AA meetings you can use the really absolute um, exclusionary kind of methods of it yeah. really like it's a real solid controlled kind of um, system yeah, yeah. yeah whereas looking at like the murky uncertainty stuff yeah is is really without you're kind of untethered in that space aren't you because i think the scariest thing is facing up to the fact that everybody is a bit scared and uncertain it's interesting isn't it how like when you're in recovery one of the hardest things to face is that maybe your addiction actually made you feel a bit special yes definitely and then when you're giving it up you're like maybe I'm just super average yeah yeah and everybody has these demons and some people use like extremes to try and avoid them and some people just face them and have shitty days as a comedian as a creature driven by ego it can be hard to admit that your struggle is not only universal but actually quite pedestrian when you're in like active addiction you start to embrace your like shadow self so you think like so here's an example like i 
used to uh, like just it goes hand in hand with addiction. Unfortunately, you you become very manipulative, uh, secretive. You lie a lot. Yeah. I was like I was own up to the fact I was gaslighting this is awful like it's an awful admission but I'm also I was kind of gaslighting my mum in that my mum had um, uh, pain medication right and she was going through menopause at the same time and with the menopause she was becoming very forgetful and I knew I could rely on that to kind of lie about nicking her drugs so she would so she would go I swear I had more like I swear and I'd go like oh like no you didn't like I haven't touched anything you know you know what your mind's like at the moment awful fucking you know Machiavellian behaviour did you ever find yourself saying the words like um like you're telling a lie and then you're like looking someone in the face and you're going like you accusing me of lying? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, and I was going, shocker. like, how dare you? That actually like, makes yeah. me want to cry just yeah, saying yeah, those yeah, words because you just feel so deceitful. You're like, you're staring someone in the face and holding so tight to your little secret. It's yeah. like right inside you that you have to protect so hard yeah. that you're prepared to be like bare face, make somebody else feel as if they are committing a crime mad. against yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's awful. It is the. It is the kind of behaviour that unfortunately is uh, part of addiction. But then you get, like I know, I, I never really got this, but I know I spoke to people who would take a weird pride in the fact that they were like spinning this web of lies and they were kind of, they, it's, it's a control thing, isn't it? They, they were controlling the... a big high from being able to be at once so deeply unhappy yeah. and yet not letting anybody know about it. Yeah, like, yeah. What a, what a skill to hide such a level of despair. It's only mean? we could use that for good <laughs> things. Like, be really well, the weird thing is that when you come out of it, you kind of tip the other way. And this kind of takes you back to what you were saying about your answer, like extremes, right? So for me, sometimes it's probably necessary actually not to tell everybody exactly what you're thinking and the absolute truth at all times um, but there was a big section of time where because I was so um, keen to separate my past behavior from what I was like where the point I'd come to I was like lying was a big part of that past self so now no lying is allowed to happen so I was so brutally honest the entire time no filter because I associated the previous behaviour so strongly with a kind of person that I didn't want to be anymore Yeah. and I think there's like so many stages of recovery I'm at this stage now where it's, everything is allowed so there's no kind of wrong or right or perfect or um, dangerous behaviour I think when you're really in like the first stages or the crux of coming to terms with something, giving something up that's really protected you for a long time, um, you see yourself as a bit dangerous. Yeah. I definitely felt like I was probably a danger to myself. Like I couldn't. Yeah. I was just going to say, so, so, so you felt like you're more a danger to yourself rather than other people yeah, did sure. you feel like you was hurting yourself more than um, any? I know there's obviously a knock on effect where yeah. other people do get hurt in the process but it's like for me like I know people who were like kind of a, a, a whirlwind of destruction and they were destroying everything around them with their yeah. I never had that I was quite an isolated addict I was mm. quite uh, 
I was really just damaging myself more than it, it, I, was, yeah. I had a lot of solitude. Whereas some people, were... I sometimes have a habit of talking over people or running away of the conversation. I feel Helen, who's been very open, very candid, was slightly affronted by my impulse to dominate the discourse. I had to apologise via text after listening to the recording. Wend it there for the moment, but this is the first of two parts. Part two, coming soon.